Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JB3. And if you can hear my voice, then one, that's a good thing. But two, I sound clearer because I'm getting rest for the first time in quite some time. Uh, baby boy is doing very well. So is mom. So are brothers. And we're finally starting to get into a bit of a routine of things. And I think I can see the light at the end of the newborn tunnel for now. And so glad to be back. Appreciate the patience. Um, I, I was trying to get the last episode up with uh, my, my good friend Jerome Crawford. And I realized that things got a little sloppy. I didn't necessarily like the way things turned out. There were certain posts that didn't work the way they were supposed to. I was making content in real time, which is a, a huge no-no. And so needed the week to, to get my mind together. I'm back on track now. I've got a schedule. Boom, skadoop. Let's go. So this week on the pod, we are talking about um, a few things that I've I really enjoy and appreciate. A few years ago, I really thought I was going to be a photographer before photography really blew up the way that it has. And shout out to the people who do take pictures because I mean, that's like 90% of what social media is, right? You're spending time looking at other people's photos. But I wanted to to use photography as a tool, but I never had a, a framework or a way for thinking about it. And recently, you know, just in connection through social media, I found myself um, following this group called Photo Voice Worldwide, and they started sharing my pictures and sharing my content for Equity Matters. And so I started doing some digging on, on what they did. And I was really amazed at what Photo Voice is. And so Photo Voice in short, and you'll hear from in the episode, is a community-based participatory research model, right? You actually give cameras to people to go take pictures and then you facilitate conversation around that, you know, why did they take this picture? Why did they take this picture this way? And I see it as a way when I talk about community engagement of sharing power and voice to tell stories. And that's that's really compelling because in many cases, you know, we, we have these um, facilitated conversations and people walk away from the table. It, it's over. But with a photo, you have an artifact, right? You have something that you can take with you that you can revisit. And I just think it's really exciting. And so I'm, I'm really geeking out over this week's episode. We're going to hear from Dr. Laura Lorenz, who is the co-founder of Photo Voice Worldwide. And I think it's just really interesting how all of these things come together. You've heard me talk about community engagement for quite some time. I'm actually wrapping up a piece that I've been working with with some old uh, colleagues around community engagement and the relationship between organizations and community. It's really cool. Uh, I can't wait to share it with you all. But I really want you to just listen to the episode because this one feels a little bit different than the others. I tried to create as much space as possible for Dr. Lorenz to just do her thing. And, and she does, of course. And so just listen to the stories and the different ways that photo voice has been able to be used. It's, it's really insightful. And there's just so many different applications. So I've got a friend who I'm not going to call out, except I'm going to call him out the hip hop social worker, Christopher Scott, who I know is a, a great photographer. And we've been talking a lot lately around, you know, how can we put those skills to use? And so this episode is for you, brother. Like, think about how you can use photography to capture the stories that you are interested in. We've talked about food insecurity. We've talked about um, being involved in the carceral system as a juvenile. There's different ways you can tell these stories. And so I'm excited for you. Let's. Go ahead and get started with today's episode. Dr. Lorenz? Well, my name is Laura Lorenz, as you've just heard. I am a visiting research scholar at Brandeis University, and I'm also the co-founder and editor, sorry, (laughs) 
I am also the co-founder and educator at PhotoVoice Worldwide, a small business I started uh, in the past few years. I am originally from Massachusetts and I still consider that my home. I live there now as well, but I've also lived all over the world. I, 14 years in five different countries in Africa, Asia, and South America. So one thing I've found over the years is that wherever I am is home for me. And I really enjoy learning about different cultures, living in different cultures, meeting people, um, practicing music with them, doing shopping and cooking, finding out about new foods. So home is wherever I am. My educational background is, uh, I had, as an undergraduate, I got a BA in English literature. And then many years later, after coming back from overseas, where I worked as a journalist and photojournalist in different countries, often for UNICEF, World Food Program, other international agencies, I got a master's of education in instructional design, which is adult education and training, and learned about facilitation, about working with others in teams. It was an amazing education at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. And then I went for a PhD in social policy at Brandeis University, the Heller School for Social Policy and Management, where uh, my social policy degree is in health policy and health services research. And I feel like I've interrupted you, James, and asked and just answered these questions without you asking them. Oh, no, you're all right. The introduction is all you. Okay, excellent. Uh, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm not uh, overstepping here. No, not and, at all. Okay, thank you. And it's been an exciting few years. Uh, my, my close associates and I have uh, led trainings for 350 people or more from 27 countries and 37 U.S. states in uh, a research and assessment method called PhotoVoice. So let's unpack PhotoVoice a little bit. What exactly is it? PhotoVoice is a participatory type of research that involves visuals. It involves people reflecting on a topic, using their camera to take photographs that help them communicate um, it depends on the questions and the topic, but say, for example, what it's like to live with a brain injury in a given community, or it might be um, what it's like to be a young person in a given community and what you think are, are positives and negatives, or perhaps assets and challenges in your community. Discuss your photos together write captions to go with them, or perhaps speak them, that's happening more often, you know, recording your captions, sharing those also with outsiders, you know, going through an interpretation process, what do these photos mean, what are some themes, maybe preparing an exhibit, and then advocating for change, involving stakeholders, trying to uh, make a a positive difference in your community with this work that you've done together. Could you tell us what kind of stories have has photo voice been used to tell? And part of the question, well, part of the reason for this question, I've been pulled into more work lately around storytelling. And I imagine being able to capture photos and having people really dive into it. There might be some really cool stories that come from that. There are, and they can be an individual story or a group story or a community story. And 
one thing that's very powerful about photo voice is that people are encouraged not to focus only on the positive or only on challenges, but to find a balance, to develop really a critical understanding, if you will, about not only their own perceptions, their own lives, what they are experiencing, the type of health or conditions that they face, but also this idea of understanding that there are environmental and structural issues that are impacting your life and your community. So developing that critical eye to understand and, and recognize what those are, talk about them together and potentially develop solutions that then of course you're advocating for. Now in terms of stories, for example, the very first project I did in Lowell, Massachusetts with girls aged 11 to 15, they were telling a story of their community from their perspective and starting to also understand how do you critically understand visuals? How can you resist some of the dominant messages um, coming at you in visuals every day? So this idea of themselves also as actors in their community, uh, telling the story of, of their capacities and their strengths. So I have also worked with young people in Mdotsane Township in South Africa. And there again, young people aged, there the, the term youth is uh, young people aged 16 to 32. That's very purposeful on the government's part because it allows for certain supports for people up through the age 32, because it's not always easy to get a job in South Africa. Um, and it's, it's a way to provide more services and supports um, as people you know, continue to uh, uh, get education and 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 uh, participate in their community. So there, that story was one of um, a broader understanding of the township than you the story you usually hear. I mean, every day there are articles in the newspaper and stories on TV, but those stories are from outsiders' perspectives from journalists' perspectives. And it was very exciting uh, towards the end of the project, we developed our exhibit and we were putting it up in the regional capital in the Eastern Cape uh, of Eastern Cape province. And then also putting it up in a local library in the town of East London, a, a major port and uh, the librarian and I were putting up the exhibit that was all developed by these young people. They worked in teams to, to uh, review their photos, discuss them, develop their captions, create an exhibit. They even invited stakeholders uh, from the community to come you know, discuss the exhibit with them before they finalized it. So a librarian and I were, were putting up the final exhibit and people in the library were crowded around. Once they saw these photos and captions, they're crowding around so close, looking at them, talking about them and saying, this is our lives. And it was so um, different and unusual for them to see their community from an insider's perspective, not hearing it just as a story from outsider's perspectives. That was uh, incredibly affirming of the hard work that the young people and I had done together for four weeks. And then uh, another example is a story of living with brain injury. And for many people, that is a life-changing event. It means you're not going back to your original work or prior work. 
you're not going back to the, the education or schooling you were doing before. Um, this is not true for everyone, of course. Many do you know, very well after a brain injury, return you know, back to their lives. But I was working with people for whom the injury was life-changing. And there, they are telling, again, a story of challenges, but also strength and encouraging their peers to have hope, to, to do the best they can, to um, practice their uh, uh, emotional, cognitive, you know, physical abilities to continue to improve and to have hope. And also to understand that they remain experts on their own lives, that they have something to tell, stories to tell, clinicians, policymakers, their families, as well as their peers, and, and be seen as experts about their lives and about what they care about uh, in their lives and, and care about in terms of, of change. Now that sounds incredibly powerful, right? In the sense that you, this particular method, even as they're doing it, there's this ability to feel empowered, right? Like you see yourself in ways that you may not normally, or you see yourself in ways contrary to what maybe the dominant narrative may share. Is that kind of what you're seeing out in the field? You said it. I mean, um, it's going through this process and and I can tell a, a couple of stories about that. Uh, for example, um, in Endodsane, when we first started the project and, and a local hospital had allowed us to use an education area, that's where the young people and I met um, for our, we met I think three days a week for those four weeks. One young woman was at the start of the project, kind of sitting back in her chair and looking down and, you know, not that engaged. I, I was kind of worried, you know, did she really want to be here? Was she doing okay? And as, uh, we had a chance to speak just one-on-one -on -one towards the end of the project. And, and she said to me, you know, when I started this project, I didn't want to be here. I was worried that if I'm out in the community taking photos with my camera, people, uh, I might even get hurt. People might even you know, uh, attack me or something. They, they wouldn't really like what I'm doing. And you know, I was wrong. People in the community wanted stories told from their perspective. They wanted to suggest photos and get topics into the exhibit. And at the very end of the time I was there, we had we put up the exhibit at a World AIDS Day, um, um, right in the stadium in the township. And the stadium was full. There were all these people who were coming to see the events, not just our exhibit, but other activities going on. And she even took the microphone and was speaking to the entire crowd there about her experience with Photo Voice and, and this uh, process we'd gone through. I mean, for me, that was, that was what inspired me to go on further for a PhD because I, how, you know, how can Photo Voice, um, you know, be this transformative. What's what's going on here? At least for some uh, people who participate. So another story relates to a woman who had a very serious brain injury. Uh, she was from Massachusetts. She was part of the the project I did on uh, lived experience with brain injury, and she was injured at nineteen in a bad car accident. And so never finished college. I think she was a freshman uh, when she had her injury. And this was more than 30 years later. And she 
um, had an injury or perhaps her life experiences also meant that it was very hard for her to have back and forth conversations, accept other people's points of view and have this kind of interactive um, way of communicating. And, and as you say, telling stories, listening to stories, interacting. And with this process, because we were talking about the photos and it isn't exactly like being under a microscope yourself, you know, you're, you're, you're interacting about a photo which is outside of yourself. She was all right with people having different opinions or seeing different things in the photos than she did. And by the end of the project, seemed transformed in her ability to interact and have this back and forth. And she started running a uh, bingo for people in um, care homes. So traveling and doing the bingo and being highly successful and admired and appreciated for this volunteer work she was doing. And she said that uh, the poster that we'd created from the project, every participant received sort of a, a framed poster of their analysis, a description of the project and their analysis of themes uh, from the journey to hope for the future, 11 different categories. And she said to me after uh, her, her family had seen this poster, that in 30 years, it was the first time that they had shown any interest or respect for anything that she had done. Wow. It was amazing. And uh, I'll just mention one more story. So one of the participants in that Framingham project was a highly successful physician and researcher before he was in a terrible car accident and that turned his whole life upside down. And yet, when he started the project, he told me this later. I mean, of course, I didn't know it at the time, but he considered himself above some of the other participants. For example, you know, people who were injured at age 19 and had not achieved the educational, achievements, the career achievements that he had experienced in life. So he felt above them. And he told me that by the end of the project, uh, we worked together originally for eight weeks uh, to the point where we had an exhibit and then we, we refined it and continued, did outreach activities. He said, you know what, by the end I realized we all were having the same experiences. I was not above them. We were all equal. And that to me was just incredible to hear. This, that's just an example of the type of critical consciousness, if you will, or, or education and understanding that can happen at an individual level for some of the people I've just you know, been, been relating stories about as well as for communities and uh, clinicians potentially and policymakers who observe and participate in these exhibits and hear the stories. They also at times undergo a, a transformation of understanding, if you will. I wanna come back around to um some of the different ways that this could definitely influence policy. That's usually where I, I tend to think first. But I'm curious, knowing this sounds like a, a rigorous research method, how are other sectors benefiting or using it, particularly if we're thinking about government or maybe philanthropy or any other sector? Good question. So one example uh, is a study that was done to understand environmental characteristics associated with tobacco use. And that project involved young people 
and students engaged in photo voice. And the proposal that the young people supported was passed and enacted, uh, apparently in part because of their work with photo voice, illustrating some of the environmental aspects that contribute to tobacco use. Uh, another project on spinal cord injury um, and community participation after spinal cord injury uh, was again, a look at the environment uh, and look at the community, but the environmental barriers and facilitators to community participation. And there was an exhibit as well as written testimony by the participants. And this project in South Carolina um, interacted with the Senate Transportation Committee. Uh, there were public news articles, a coalition resulted uh, around this topic. And there was a state law uh, proposed to strengthen accessible parking laws in the state and enforcement of these parking laws. So that's another example. And finally, I wanted to mention a Kaiser Permanente project intended to enable policymakers to be actively involved in identifying community needs um, resulted in a voter initiative passed to renovate city parks, uh, get a full service grocery store um, up and running in the community um, and, and walkable trails built in the community to encourage healthy eating, more physical activity um, in a way that met community identified needs and then engaged stake, stakeholders such as policymakers in that process of developing and enacting solutions. I'd also like to say um, that in terms of how it's been used in research and government work, um, three different projects that I'm involved in right at the moment, I think are very good examples of collaborations and um, interdisciplinary work. So in other words, work that crosses boundaries, that includes people from the community, as well as researchers, as well as other stakeholders. So it, through Indiana University and the National Alliance for Mental Illness, NAMI Indianapolis, uh, people who are part of support groups, NAMI support groups in Indianapolis, have been advocating for policies to support health and well being of people with mental illness uh, in the city and to advocate for racial equity and justice for African Americans with mental illness in Indianapolis in particular. And that is an ongoing project where it's just amazing to see the bonding that happens among the different participants in three different groups. And then they are working with NAMI, with Indian, Indiana University School of Medicine to advocate with policymakers. So for me, that's an example of where you don't necessarily expect participants to do all the advocating and uh, foster change, create change, but it's working with uh, organizations that are interested in what participants are doing and can run with the ball, so to speak, afterwards, can continue the work, the hard work of advocating for change, often in collaboration with participants. Um, in New England, I've been uh, working with a six-state project that has documented the COVID-19 experiences of African immigrants 
throughout New England um, and intended in part to identify and advocate again for solutions to you know, sharing information in an appropriate way uh, on the pandemic and on ways to stay safe and seeking solutions such as better access to healthcare, help for children isolated at home and maybe not doing as well as they had been when they had a chance to go to school. And this coalition uh, was formed, it's, it's called the African Immigrant Health Research Consortium. Uh, all six New England states are involved and it was amazingly participatory, nothing top down, no decisions were made that were top down. Uh, instead, it was you know, leadership, leaders from the six states, community health workers from the six states, and then uh, a, a range of participants uh, from many different African countries um, now living in New England. And um, it, it's just been an incredible project still ongoing that used a, an internet platform to hold an exhibit and also an interactive discussion, I, developing additional ideas of solutions, policy solutions and engaging stakeholders to continue again, that advocacy work. And then in Broward County, another example, Broward County, Florida, a county governmental um, organization so not non-governmental, but actually a, a county government organization uh, has been using photo voice to understand the uh, value or accessibility, uh, feasibility of the services it's providing to help people uh, leave human trafficking situations. So they are, have, have, are asking people using these services to take photographs and, and help them, help the governmental um, institution understand what's working, what can be improved, how can we you know, better serve you, better help you. And by using photos, this helps cross language barriers, potentially, culture barriers in a way that lets people interact around the photo and, and discuss that and learn from each other and share important information that might not be learned otherwise. I think you've answered my next question, but I'd be curious if there's other examples that you may have about how photo voice can impact the user, right? Because you put the camera in an individual's hands, they may not be trained as a trained photographer, but there's certain things that they've developed and feel empowered with as a result of being able to tell their story. Are there other things aside from just the knowledge and skills that we should be interested in? In addition to the knowledge and skills, the, the fact or act of being heard and listened to for perhaps for the first time is transformative. It, many people who participate in a photo voice project um, you know, have, may have had different types of challenges in their lives, may, may be people that don't often get to be seen as experts, as, as having valuable knowledge to share. So this process allows people to share with a smaller group, you know, first themselves to understand what they care about, and then to be sharing with a smaller group, often, you know, facilitated uh, by uh, somebody, somebody who might be a nonprofit staff member or a university researcher. And then get heard and have their work seen by people outside the group, people who 
um, make decisions about that community's life or about that individual's life. So this opportunity to be seen and to be heard is uh, a very important part of the photo voice process. And you know, one of the when I'm facilitating projects um, from a, an ethical perspective, for me, one of the most important ethical aspects of photo voice is to help people be successful at this process of self-reflection, reflecting on their community and sharing outside, sharing important information outside their community that people feel that they have been successful at it, that they've achieved a goal. And it can, it can mean that that uh, you feel very differently about yourself, that you have a different um, confidence or self-perception or belief in your own abilities. I would also like to add that, for example, um, photo voice has been used with veterans from the recent wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And again, in a way to help people share, help veterans and also potentially their caregivers, projects with caregivers to, to share the challenges of community integration after serving uh, in a war. And some of the participants in earlier photo voice projects led by VA researchers, have become researchers themselves and are uh, working with others to help now ongoing photo voice projects happen. You know, doing the recruitment, doing the outreach, helping with the analysis and the interpretation. And um, I would say because photo voice is a type of research that's accessible, it's not you know, just statistics and big databases, it's research about real lives and real experiences. It's an opportunity to learn about research and become a researcher. And for some, they want to continue that work. Maybe they'll, go back to school uh, continue their education. Maybe they become you know, community leaders and activists. It's, it's a process that is educational and self-affirming. And again, as I spoke about earlier, potentially life-changing. I love how in describing photo voice, there's opportunities for the users beyond just like that one particular study. And so the way that you describe becoming an active participant, the way that it sounds like some participants actually become like their own photo voice expert in recruiting others and you know advocating for the process. I'm curious as to if there's other ways that we've seen photo voice um, be used to, to advance equity in that way, because now you've created community ownership, you've created ownership of the process and the experience. Are there other things that you're seeing? Yes, often environmental. So uh, one thing that photo voice can do is to help a particular nonprofit organization or uh, activists in a community to understand what people care about, what they want to advocate for. And so the follow-on might not just be a, another photo voice project. It might be another effort to explore a particular problem or solution that has emerged from the photo voice project and create a whole new project uh, that, that builds on photo voice. So photo voice planting seeds 
that then um, grow with additional activities. So uh, let's see, I'm thinking of a project I did in a kind of historic town in Massachusetts, Eastern Massachusetts, really the home of, of the American Revolution. Um, and in that project, we, I worked with older adults with brain injury about community integration and, and facilitators and barriers to their community integration. So for that project, um, people living in a group home in the community, as well as you know, with their families, were turning their cameras on the community, um, discussing their photos and, and preparing an exhibit. And some of the individuals who were part of that project learned, well, one thing I'd like to, to talk about was this understanding of metaphors and symbols. So an engineer, former engineer, uh, no longer able to do that work because of his injury, uh, learned about this concept of metaphors and analogies during the project and started to take these very meaningful pictures, uh, photos that uh, were not exactly a problem he wanted to change, but were more um, about his emotions and about his feelings and his hopes. And he got so interested in this. It, it was amazing. One of his most powerful photos was uh, a scene of a, you know, just a fall scene, the beautiful trees and leaves are reflected in a, a pond uh, right near the downtown where they had built a, a path for so that people even with physical disabilities could enjoy this, you know, uh, lovely rural uh, nature area so close to town. And he was saying, you know, um, all of us, these leaves, you know, this beautiful fall scene, each of us in the community is a leaf and, um, and we all contribute to the community. And he went on to join the Disabilities Commission and to advocate for further action um, by the town to support people with disabilities. And he started a support group for people with brain injury uh, in the group home so they could uh, be sharing their experiences, have opportunities to tell their own stories and interact uh, in a way they don't usually get to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and even bringing in outsiders, so contributing to community integration as people you know, inside the group home and outside have opportunities to interact. So that's one example with um, Girls Incorporated in Greater Lowell, where I got to do the first photo voice project. They built on this experience with then new ideas of projects, for example, uh, based on visual literacy and being able to really resist um, dominant messages that might be negative to girls for girls and negative um, about body image, um, other things that, that can make people you know, uh, doubt themselves or feel inadequate. Um, so it inspired further opportunities to to understand and read visual images and contest those dominant messages, to have a critical consciousness around those messages, if you will. But it's a good question. I'm trying to think. Uh, you've given a few examples about oh, okay. community engagement in different ways that photo voice is a it's a tool, right? It's a it's a way to create equity by providing evidence, right? Like you can use it to affirm one's current environment and say, hey, this is what I see. This is what I see 
on my way to school. This is what I see when I think about being hungry. And it really drives the case because it's almost irrefutable. Like I'm, I'm literally taking pictures. There's, there's no Photoshop involved here. That is correct. Yes, some projects work very hard on the photography aspect and aspect and developing photography skills, but you don't have to. You can keep it simple. People take the most amazing photos uh, with, with you know, very little uh, training. Um, they just, they know what they want to, to share, the message they want to get across, and they can take some amazing photographs. And in terms of equity, uh, for me, the examples I was talking about earlier about, you know, environmental um, aspects of the environment that contribute to tobacco use or aspects of the environment that hinder um, participation in the community, full participation, um, aspects of the community that in that hinder healthy eating, those types of projects um, are examples of equity projects because access to you know, clean water, clean, you know, having clean air, having um, green space, having opportunities to uh, walk, and safely in your community. This, these are matters of equity, in my opinion, where also um, another example, I have a colleague who's worked in um, evaluating housing first projects where um, people who are, uh, who, who are homeless, are able to also share their experiences, both with homelessness and then if they've been able to access housing, what it's like for them later to have this type of housing, um, no matter what their um, um, condition in terms of, of you know, whether they are still using alcohol or other substances. You, being provided with this housing as an opportunity to perhaps you know, even stop using those substances and be able to you know, have a location you can cite as an address to be able to get a job because um, you often need that in order to have a job. And, oh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought for a minute, but, for me, these are also example, you know, housing is another example of, of equity and, and having your basic needs um, of, you know, provided for or available, but in a way that you care about, that is meaningful for you, instead of somebody from outside coming in and saying, this is what you need, and this is how you should have it, and this is, you know, just telling people here with Photo Voice, it's an opportunity to really understand what people think their needs are, uh, what their interests are, what uh, equitable solutions, um, you know, there are from, from their perspectives, so that it's not just, you know, people in authority doing the telling. It's instead this mutual education and conversation and exchange. That's powerful. I think we need more tools to do that, right? I think time and time again, you find yourself advocating for something. And whether that's through a community role, a professional role, however, the more ways that we can bring evidence to bear, the better. And I can't see anyone doubting or refuting a picture because a picture will tell the story. Yes. It does. And, and yet at the same time, let me uh, caution that we can see things in a photo. We might interpret what that photo means, but 
what's important is what the photographer meant with that photo. Mm. And so a caption uh, that describes that intent or at the very least a title for the photo can orient the viewer to the photographer's intent because we all have our own life experiences, our own lenses. And so when we see the photo, we might not be immediately understanding just from the photo what the participant is trying to share with us. So uh, one important aspect of a photo voice is this um, interpretation, if you will, this sharing by the photographer. So we really understand um, the message that the photographer wants us to hear and see. So Dr. Lorenz, how do people come to learn more about how to use photo voice? How do they keep up with you and photo voice worldwide? Like what, where do people go? Thank you so much for that question. Well, we have a website, um, www.photovoiceworldwide.com. And there we, we share our mission, of course, and uh, the timings of the trainings we offer. We have a, a foundations course, Talking with Pictures Photo Voice, uh, and we have uh, uh, courses or, or training, professional development trainings for photo voice facilitators. Say you're going to run the groups and you wanna learn some techniques um, about doing that effectively. Also, uh, courses on interpreting data, photo voice data, both the photos and the text, um, learning how to read photos and understand the structural aspects of photos that convey messages, and even phototherapy type courses where you're learning how to work with the photos with people so that uh, they are transforming the photos as they uh, may be transforming their lives in talking about them and perhaps talking about the uh, difficult circumstances and experiences they've had. So through our website, you can find information about those courses. We also uh, have a blog. So uh, very frequently, at least two times a month or up to four times a month, we are publishing um, blog posts on different aspects of photo voice or people's uh, projects. We also invite other people to, uh, especially our alumni of our courses to um, write blogs and uh, for us. And we also provide free community webinars on different photo voice topics. For example, using photo voice remotely, you know, through the internet instead of meeting on person, in person, uh, as of course people had to do with COVID-19, but it's also an approach that's important for reaching people in rural areas if they can't travel to come together or people with disabilities for whom it might even be risky to their health to meet in, in a group with others. So another other community webinars we've done are using photo voice in the classroom, say a community college classroom as a way to explore an academic topic from your own perspective using the photos and the discussions and the captions. These are just a few examples and we record those. We post them on our YouTube channel, a Photo Voice Worldwide YouTube channel. You can link to all of our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook from our um, from our website. And I'm so grateful for the people who work on that aspect of our work, who get the word out on through social media, um, because, you know, as, as uh, we may have, you may have heard the old saying, you know, if, if, a, if a tree falls in the forest and, and no one's there to hear it, you know, is it, does it make a sound? Well, 
for me, the, the social media means getting out the word and helping people understand that we're trying to create a community here of peer-to-peer -peer education. I mean, we, we provide that professional development through our courses, but we encourage this, this mutual learning that people who do photo voice have so much understanding and richness to bring to others who do this work. So through our blog, through our webinars, through our social media, and even through white papers. Uh, we've published two white papers so far, um, which is a way to get something a little deeper and longer out, you know, more than a blog post, uh, deeper information. Um, and, and everybody has something to offer. This is, you know, peer-to-peer -peer education is, is part of photo voice. It's essential to photo voice. And I believe it's also essential to um, continuing to learn about photo voice. We have so much to learn from each other. Dr. Lorenz, I appreciate you taking the time. I think, I think photo voice is, I mean, I spent some time in Ghana in grad school and we had to do ethnographic journaling, right? Where we really dug into our experience and really tried to capture the details of the things that we saw around us. Mm. I wish I would have had a camera to help tell the story and be able to like facilitate conversation around that, especially knowing now a little bit more mature in what I was doing while I was there, um, a lot more public health and healthy sexual development, being able to take mm. pictures to help tell the story, I think that would have been really compelling. Yes, it would have been a different way of communicating. That's right, because you can say, well, what is that? Or what does that mean? Or, you know, help me understand why you took that photo. Uh, it, it, it's a different conversation than just, um, you know, tell me about yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I cannot, you know, but still, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put, I, it's easy to have, oh, I wish, you know, because I, I have those feelings myself. You know, I, I, I wish I'd um, known more about research. For example, all those years I, I worked as a journalist and photojournalist overseas and, and done things like giving people the camera instead of taking all the photos myself. Um, but sometimes it's just part of your development. It's part of, of, I mean, you might not be where you are today if you hadn't mm. had that experience in Ghana. And so, um, and you're doing important work with this podcast. So I wouldn't beat yourself up about it is all I'm trying to say. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> it, 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 you know, I, I mean, one thing I'm learning about photo voices, I continue this work and I've been doing it for 20 years now, uh, which is hard to believe, is that the more I'm learning, the more I realize I still need to learn. Mm. Mm. It's, uh, it's still a journey. I'm, you know, even today in the, the class I was teaching, um, and I was sharing my perspective about, you know, bringing, you know, the, the photography training in and kind of at what timing uh, might be, you know, appropriate to do that. And, and one of the participants says, well, you know, I, I did the photography training first and I did this and that and it worked out great. And, you know, I stand corrected, you know, that that's what this is really about learning, um, you know, all that you don't know, uh, as well as sharing what you do. Well, I, I just can't even tell you how much I appreciate this opportunity and, um, and it's been a pleasure. It has, it has. Thank you, Dr. Lorenz, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Dr. Bell. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Huge shout out again to Dr. Lorenz for joining us on the podcast. If you couldn't tell, I was just 
geeking out the whole time. It's, it's really exciting to hear the different ways that we've advanced research methods to one, to share power, but to be uh, participatory truly. I know when I was wrapping up my DSW program, uh, community-based participatory research was something that I really wanted the curriculum to center more frequently because I felt like we were preparing practitioners to go out and make decisions on their own and not giving a clear way for community to be involved and have a role in decision-making. Like, I, I'll spare you all the details, but I, I think there's ways that we can be more intentional about um, authentically engaging community, especially in research. And so huge shout out to Dr. Lorenz, shout out to the, the homies over at Photo Voice Worldwide. Appreciate you for, for taking the time and always sharing our content. A few very quick updates. Um, I have officially wrapped up the Unmasking White Supremacy and Racism and Mental Health Training with our partners over at the Cummings Graduate Institute. Be on the lookout for when that goes live. I'm really excited. I put a lot of effort into it. Um, it's actually broken into two parts. And so that's what makes it really interesting. So the first part is really, why are we here? And we spend time digging into the history of uh, racism and white supremacy as it uh, functions in parallel and then intersects with mental health, um, taking us back to uh, pre-slavery. And it's it's really, it's something that I think people should take the time to, to experience. And then I, I don't leave it there. So the second part is what can we do? I think in many cases, uh, a lot of trainings or webinars really focus on the why are we here and don't get us to a place of solutions. And so I broke them up into two pieces, um, really digging into anti-racist practice. How do we um, how do we put out anti-oppressive practice, spending time being intentional, of course, around um, advancing cultural competency what does anti-racism look like within an organization? I even have a section in there that anti-racism is more than words um, because you know how I feel about performative action. It just drives me crazy. And so be on the lookout for that. If you want to know when it's dropping, there's a few ways to keep in touch. I definitely think you want to, one, continue listening to episodes because I'm sure I'll mention it. But two, you definitely want to follow us on social media. So that's at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram at Equity Matters PC on Twitter. Um, you can like us on Facebook and also subscribe to our listserv. It will be probably the fastest way to, to know when that training is available. And if you didn't know, we have two trainings already up, one around understanding and mitigating implicit bias and the other around authentic community engagement. So today's episode will be a great tie-in to that training. Check it out, they're $20. I think that's a great deal for the wealth of information that you get. So be sure to look out for that. The other thing that I want to share right now is um, still in my heart, just thinking about Roe v. Wade right now, as I'm currently benefiting from a, a an employer who offers 12 weeks of medical leave. And I just think about the ways right now that this state is really well, not this state. Sorry, let me correct that. The ways that this nation is demonstrating how it feels about women and what women deserve to have. You know, I've seen tweets and other commentary around how um, trigger warning uh, rape babies are an opportunity. And it's just unfortunate and disappointing. And I wish I had higher expectations, but I'm rarely ever impressed by the things that our legislators um, and our Supreme Court justices and the other people in power choose to say and or do. It's, it's unfortunate that it, it's come to this and, it, you know, the ways that we talk about protecting black women or just protecting women in general, we're not doing that. We're not doing that when we say that they don't have access to health care. We're not doing that when they, we say that they can't do things to protect their own bodies when we are making decisions for those that it I I can't even get the words out. I'm so annoyed by it. But I think we're going to come to a head one day and I don't know what that looks like. I'm not going to get on my Malcolm X soapbox today, but the, the chickens will come home to roost. So 
let me go drink some water and mind my business because I got myself all worked up. Thanks, as always, for checking us out. Um, share this episode with a friend. Let somebody know that you're listening to Equity Matters. Let me know that you're listening to Equity Matters. Tag us um, on social media. Send us a note and be on the lookout for the next episode. Um, we're getting to connect with my homie Frank Romo and Theo Pride out of the city of Detroit. Talking about community organizing and technology. It's, it's a really dope episode. And of course, I have to leave it off with the signature sign off. Equity Matters. Equity Matters.